Mac Power Users, episode 245. Mac Power Users live on March 7, 2015. Hello, everyone. It's David Sparks, along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie Floyd? I'm doing well, David. How are you? It's surprising to me that we're already in March of 2015. Seems like time is flying on us, huh? Uh, it, it is, and uh, I'm, I'm getting excited. You know, but I'm a little bummed, too, because this is when I'm supposed to be packing and getting on a plane to go to see you at Macworld this year. I know. I know. So, I, you, well, you want to know a secret? I do I'm, know a secret. I'm a little upset with you about it. I'm, I'm doing Macworld South at my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I've got like Gene McDonald, a couple friends that are just local. We decided to heck with it. We were all going to be together, so we'll just be together. I'm gonna I'm gonna cook bratwurst. Of course you are. Of course you're yeah. cooking bratwurst or something. I'm gonna barbecue something. I don't know what, but it's gonna be fun. So if you'll hop a plane, Katie Floyd, you can sleep on my couch. Okay, I I might think about that. But, I'm serious. I'm you know, serious. you got the Apple. Are you all going to the Apple Watch events as well? You've all got secret invitations and you haven't told me, right? Yeah, exactly. That's uh, we're going to meet up there. Okay. In fact, we're going to talk about the Apple Watch a little bit on the show, even though we're not it's supposed to be a new show. We can't help ourselves. And by the time the show goes live, we will be um, the news will already be out. So we're not going to speculate, but we're going to talk a little bit about it. But before we do that, um, it's a live show. And pursuant to tradition, we have one of our super listeners come on to talk about some of the cool stuff they do. And today I'd like to Welcome to the show, Joel Anderson. Welcome to the show, Joel. Uh, thanks, David. Hi, Katie. Hey, welcome. You know, Joel, we I heard uh, you on Systematic with our good friend Brett Terpstra drink, um, <laughs> and you were talking about a lot of the fun things that you were doing uh, using tagging and finding files, and I, I thought that that was a great show, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes for everybody who hasn't listened to it. So I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners have, so I want to be careful that we don't tread too much on that territory. But you all just started to brush on a topic um, that... I, I think a lot of listeners have thought about, I know we've gotten some feedback about it, but it's really something that we've never covered much in depth on Mac Power users. And I thought we'd have you come on and talk to us a little bit about it. And that's using smart folders. And it's something that we all have access to. It's built right into the Finder and it's it's built even into to many of the apps that we use, like Mail and iPhoto, although that may not be long for this world, uh, and iTunes. But a lot of us aren't using smart folders to its full potential, and I'm finding smart folders are, are very powerful, especially this kind of year. I'm I'm doing smart folders to see, you know, like finding things for tax purposes. And th- so uh, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do and how you got into all this nifty, you know, finding and organizing file stuff. Yeah, I'd be happy to. Um uh, so I'm a college professor in the Netherlands uh, at Utrecht University um, in the philosophy department. And so I guess one of the reasons why I've gotten into um, trying to sort out smart folders, tags, this whole sort of question of how to organize files is uh, a lot of our jobs, and that goes for me as well, includes um, having to handle a lot of different files that are um, you that you access through different applications and just trying to be able to keep on on top of it uh, really you know requires you to have some kind of good organization system and I remember um, as a longtime listener uh, the debate that you two had about hunters and gatherers and I think it was actually a show with Brett Terpstra um, a couple years ago and 
I've myself been sort of going back and forth trying to figure out, you know, do I just want to use the search functions that are so powerful using Spotlight and whatnot, or do I want to organize things more in terms of folders? And I think it's been really interesting to see how a lot of recent developments, both with tags and with uh, Cloud Drive and um, sandboxing and a number of things, have really kind of forced the issue of figuring out how to do this in the best way. And I have to I have to say at the outset, I'm still I'm still trying to sort some of this out myself, but a couple of things that are working well for me that I'd be happy to share. So so Joel, when you um when you you're working primarily on a Mac, correct? Yeah, only. And, and I think that's one of the things about uh smart folders that people need to kind of take into consideration is it seems like when you're in an office that's on like a network share, it's a little bit harder to make this stuff work cuz keeping those network share attachments isn't always that easy. But um if you are if you do have a good link to your file systems, uh, how do you create a smart folder in the finder? Uh that's very simple. What is it? Uh muscle memory. Um it's uh Shift Command N, and you make a. No, that's a new. That's a new no, full. Sorry, it's new. It's, it's uh, Option Command N. Yeah, it's Option Command N. But, that's or, it, right? or you can just go up to the Finder under File and say New Smart Folder. But uh, you know, people. A lot of people, I think, are pretty good at putting these things together in iTunes. But for some reason, they don't think about them in relation to the full the Finder system where you're finding your files. And really, the uh, the Apple uh, OS 10 operating system is really good at supporting this feature where you can set up very specific criteria. Now, um, I want it's extremely powerful, but it's a little hard. It's a little hard at first to see what you're supposed to do if you just open a new smart folder. Um, it's not really obvious what you're supposed to do. You just still see the blinking cursor in the search uh, space. Yeah. So the key is to to really start digging in with the with the plus um, with the plus uh, button that's uh, that's in the in the uh, just below the um, what do you call these bars? The, it's the bar the that's bar. just. Yeah, it's just below, below the, the search bar now. Search, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, and then also using the Alt key to get uh, a number of multiple options, so you can have those Boolean searches with ands and ors and all of these, or some or or none. What is it? All any um, and all the different uh, metadata attributes that you can start using. So once you pop that open, then it starts to become clear what the options are. But it's not really. It's not really an obvious kind of thing for how to set it up initially. Yeah. In well, fact, I, I think that's something a lot of people don't know is that smart folders can have even more power when you, you can modify them. I mean, you can say, you know, search a smart folder with everything that's been modified since this date and happens to be a PDF, but then you can get to even more granular control by hitting that option key to say, or this, but if not this and, and get even more granular. I think a lot of people don't realize that that functionality is there. Yeah, so that's one of the things that that people that, that many people don't know about. And the other thing is just the range of um, the range of attributes that you can use. Right, the standard thing that's open to is like uh, the created date or name, um, the kind it is, whether it's a a, a PDF or a, a text file or what have you. But you click on that other, and there's a whole world that opens up. Of you know everything from whether it's a landscape or portrait orientation in, in an image to what kind of a tag it is, whether it's an open meta tag or finder tag, it goes on and on and on, and it's that's that's really where the power uh, starts. 
Yeah. And I think it's important to explain to people that smart folders, maybe you have to get out of the mindset of thinking of them like folders. You really have to maybe think of them more like saved searches. Okay. I think that's helpful. Yeah. Can can we just step back a little bit though? Cause I think we kind of jumped over a little bit and, and, Joel's getting to a good point. You know, when you set these things up for the first time, in fact, when I got thinking about it, I never use the keyboard shortcut to make a new smart folder. What I do is I start out in Finder making a search of some sort. Right. Right. And and then things are showing up. And right below the spotlight search is a little plus sign. And if you, you hit that plus sign, it drops your search down below and allows you to assign criteria. And and like we were saying earlier, the most basic could be like kind of doc is document. So like if you're looking for just documents or kind is image or kind is they've got a whole bunch of different categories um, or presentation, for example, or music. So you could narrow the type of file you're working for. Then you can do add an additional search criteria. Like you could say, I'm looking for a document that has the word um, sump pump in the name. So you could say kind is, and then name contains or matches, you know, and that's a different kind of context. Usually I'll use something like contains and that way you, you get a broader search. And, and that's cont- the- cont- contents is what will show it anywhere in the file. No. Yeah, exactly. But I'm saying you can use name contains. Yeah. So, oh, right. Got it. Exactly. So that way you don't get, you know, you don't have to have it match exactly as long as it contains whatever word you're looking for. And then um, you can get a very narrow search. And let's say that's something you're going to do more than once. Like you're going to be looking for that type of document on a regular basis. Then there's a button there that says save. And then you save it and you've got a smart folder created. It goes into the sidebar in your finder and you can find things. Um, you can choose is, one one thing to mention about that, by the way, you can choose whether it goes into the sidebar, because if you have a lot of these, if you start using them heavily, you don't want your sidebar um, uh, bloated with all of these uh, save searches. But it is actually just a file. And the nice thing about smart searches is um, that file, which contains the smart search, is one that you can store in different folders. So if I have a folder devoted to a particular project, one of the things I do when setting up the folder that I'm going to be using for a new project is I'll put a smart a smart folder in there or usually a, a saved search uh, using how to spot or something else. Yeah. And, and you don't just search files you can do a lot like so so like let's just talk about some basic ones and then let's kind of move on to some bigger ones a a basic one for me is uh i have a smart uh search i guess you could call it a smart folder it says any folders i've opened in the last three days and that's all it is it's just folder opened in the last three days and you know if i'm sitting here working on my mac and i'm I usually get a hot project. Uh, I can get to that folder just clicking on that last three days folder, and I'm going to get to it very quickly. And it's a nice way to have kind of the um, the the most recently used doc or folders very uh, quickly available to me. And that there's no conditionals involved. It's a very simple search that everybody yeah. listening to this could set up in all of about a minute, and they could probably you know make every day easier. What, what's an, an easy one that you use? Um, well, using dates again is, or, or um, what I, tags. So the nice thing about uh, just simply having a search that's for a specific tag that I go to um, uh, a lot is, or a, t- a tag in combination with a date, but, but, but tag's a good one. Um, and that's, uh, that. the nice thing about that is it'll find anything in the cloud drive, anything, you know, in a byword document or a keynote document or anything that has that tag, it'll just pull it all up 
uh, together. Another one that I use in photos is, and it's a little bit obscure, but it's fairly simple. Um, it's the make of a camera. So if I want to search my photos for the camera that my parents-in-law use to get all the pictures that were taken on there, cause they have a particular model of camera, then that will return all the photos taken with that model of camera, which is typically theirs. Well, just okay, and, ask and a, just a on, question on that here. One. Go ahead. Well, just a, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I, ahead, I'm not. Katie. I'm not using the Photos app beta. One of you may be. I'm just curious. Does that functionality continue into Photos app? I know it's an iPhoto. I don't know. Okay. No, I don't either. I All haven't right. checked it. But just but just on that point, um, now if you go to search for a type of particular type of camera, you're not going to see that in the default list. And Joel was talking about earlier this other button. So when you've got the first pill in that line of conditionals is is kind, you know, where you can say what what type of file you're looking for. There's a, a little word that says other with, you know, an ellipses at the end. And like Joel said, that's how you get to this massive list of criteria you can look at. I mean, I'm just looking at that. They've got a criteria for copyright, a director, you know, if you've got a film or an editor, um, focal length of the camera. So if you're, you've got a 50 millimeter lens and you're saying, I just want to see everything I shot with the 50 millimeter. I mean, it goes on and on. So if you go in there, you can come up with some very complex searches uh, to find specific items. Yep. Um, I just actually noticed uh, that's one that I have in iPhoto. Um, but, and this is, this is one of the things that gets into how, how complex this can sometimes be. You ask for a simple one and I'm, I'm not giving you a simple one. That's that, those search criteria, as far as I'm, as far as I can see right now, they're only in iPhoto. So it's only when iPhoto that you can start, um, uh, doing that search. But another one that I use, um, is, uh, is kind. Um, I'll have my, um, for example, if I want to decide which keynote presentations I want to have on my iPad, I don't keep all of my keynote presentations in the same, in the same location. So I'll just look for kind and then uh, keynote file and it'll find all of the ones. And then I can, and I can move them back and forth to the, um, to the cloud drive. So I can keep my iPad from being overloaded with too many uh, keynote uh, presentations. And that doesn't, for instance, the presentation search criteria doesn't just look for keynote. It also looks for PowerPoint. So, you know, it's smart. Or you can decide which one it looks for. But so, so when it starts with kind, it's presentations, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I, I, I have found because suddenly I'm out on my own and I'm not in a big firm and I'm not looking at a shared file database on Microsoft, something, something I am using the heck out of these things now. And if someone's out there that's working on their own and you're not using these smart folders, boy, take a minute to do it because it really can save you a lot of time as you work through the day. Yeah. And I think one of the one of the one of the ways in which it's perhaps most useful is I mean when you use the example of the sump pump I was assuming there weren't going to be a lot of files that had the name sump pump in it but there, that, that you're going to have to do a fairly deep search to find a reference to sump pump somewhere in a contract you had with uh, uh with someone for renovation to your uh to your property or something like that. Um D- David it's the where collector you get it. of sump pump. You should, <laughs> he's, he's got, got yeah. 15 well, he's got all folders. Right subfolders dealing with different models of sump pumps. But um, when you're looking for something that's just going to be a word somewhere, 
And it could come up in a lot of different places. Like I write a lot about um, the concept of autonomy in my work in philosophy. And so if I, if I just do a search for autonomy, I'm going to get, uh, and this is a technical term, a gazillion files that are going to be returned with that search. So what I need to do is to com- combine that search with several other, uh, several other factors. Um, for example, it may be, uh, there may be a combination with, uh, a conference that I was, that I was going to or present a lecture I was giving in Bielefeld, Germany. And so if I enter Bielefeld and autonomy, then that's going to return all the things that are, um, relevant to that particular project that I was, I was working on. And especially in a context in which you're coming back to something, you're not just working on it once, but you have, um, some project you're working on and you want to draw in some of those other files that you'll be using for other projects, but you don't want to move it. This is the key thing. You don't want to move it into the folder, right? So for example, if I'm writing, just take this example of a, um, uh, of a lecture. Um, so the first point I was making is it helps you to search in a more effective way and to save that for, for reuse, especially if you're searching in contents and it can just, you know, return too many, too many results. But the second thing is if I'm working on a project and I want to have, let's say 15, 20 articles that I'm going to be reviewing regularly while I'm working on this project, I don't want to take all of those PDFs and move them from wherever they are into the folder for that project I'm, I'm working on. And I also don't want to copy them all in because then I'm going to have multiple versions of things. And if I start doing annotations, I lose track of it. So by having a smart search located in that folder for the project, I have a way that I can easily go to um, the files that meet that particular set of criteria and without having to move things, move things around or screw up the, the organization that I have for those PDFs. And combining it with tags, which have become a thing now in OS X yep. and iOS, it becomes even more powerful. And this stuff really isn't that hard to grok once you get in there. Uh, so the power tips are you want to start the search and finder and then start using those plus buttons. And and another tip we had talked about earlier in the segment is the the conditional searches. And those, I think, are huge. You want to talk about those just a little bit? Yeah, so that's the same plus button that you mentioned before, David. If you hold down the alt key and and you click on it, then you'll get um, automatically a new line, which has a, a line that is, as it were, the, the categorization line. It'll say any of the following are true, and you can select that to be all of the following true or none of the following are true. And then below that, it just introduces a, a, a line with some standard attribute like, you know, date opened. So what you can do with that is, let's say you select all of the following are true, and then you have for dates, you say the date it was last modified is after or is before a certain date, like before last week. Um, and then you click the plus under that categorization of all. And then you say um, was last modified after, uh, and then you enter another date. And that can give you a specific month 
um, or a specific range of dates in which you want to have the search run. And that unit becomes then that could be um, nested uh, with uh, with others. So you can have um, within you can say any of the follow or all of the following are true. It's between this set of dates and and then you can have another um sort of categorizing a line which says any and then you can list five keywords tags or names in and file names and what it'll do then is it'll search in that date range for any of the any of the references to a particular word for example that you're that you're looking for does that make sense yeah so going back to your philosophy example let's say you've got something about enlightenment and but you only want enlightenment if it's written by any of the following five people so you could say uh you know document contains the word enlightenment and and any of the following and then you list five authors or you could say i don't want to read anything about enlightenment by this this bozo and you have it says includes enlightenment but none of them uh include you know, this, this list of people. So you could go through and right. conditional it. And that's another thing that I think that's kind of this, the second level, you know, that's the black belt part of this stuff. Once you start getting into that. And, and that also works in iTunes, by the way, and people don't realize it's there either. Um, yeah. But, but, you know, the, the inclusion of none, I think is one of the more powerful conditionals they've added. So I guess the takeaway for all of this is if you've never done this before, open it up, start making a couple simple searches. And I think you'll find that, um, that you start making even more powerful ones. Uh, this is particularly useful if you're a tagger, but it's not necessary that you be a tagger. I mean, it, I think it, the other thing I'd, I'd mentioned that can be useful for getting into this is to try a dedicated software. Something like how to spot um, can, can often provide a little bit easier entry into how these things get, um, get, yeah. get organized and you yeah. can, and, and you can find your way in that a little bit, a little bit easier. And also, you know I what? found that how to how to spot saved searches can be embedded in in Scrivener. So if you're working on a Scrivener project, instead of dragging all of your reference items into it, you can just have a saved search in how to spot, put that in Scrivener. And when you use the open in function, and this, I think, as far as I understand, doesn't at least it causes my my system to crash. Um, it doesn't work for smart folders, but it does work for these how to spot searches. If you just type open in, then boom, it'll open up the how to spot search, which will give you an overview of all those files uh, yeah. in how to spot. And I think it's called who to spot, but maybe I'm it's wrong. It's actually how to uh, spot. There it's, was a big yeah, debate yeah. about that. Oh, is yeah, it? It's, wow. It's definitely how to spot. He's got, he's got it. Um, Pierre Bernard has a pronunciation guide on, uh, on the page and it's, okay. it's how to spot. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, this is the part where we cost you money and, you know, we have that in every show and, um, how to spot version four just came out about a week ago. And yep. this is really the big dog. If you want a tool to search your Mac better than the smart folders we're talking about, go buy how to spot. It's, it really is. I don't think there's anything better. The guy who develops it is obsessive about it, and that's yeah. why it's such a great product. So um, it's it's fast. It's really fast. I mean, the one that'll cost you even more money is the Foxtrot Professional Search, which has the advantage of searching PDFs that are embedded in packages. But that's that's beyond black belt. Yeah. 
Okay. Well, I, I'm a fan of How to Spot. Go check it out. So, so if you yep. want to get even better at this stuff, go check that out. And I think they've got a free trial period you can download from their website. So yeah, and it's uh, fast, fast, fast. Yeah, play with it, and it's very easy to use, and you know, makes it's actually easier to to figure out than what they've done in the Finder. So yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. All right. Well, Joel, it's good having you on the show. Uh, Joel and I are pals. We have had tea together. Exactly. I think you flew all the way over from Netherlands, right? Just, just to, to see, just to have tea with you. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear that pizza no, special. Stuff, I've got some, you know? I got some good friends and good friends in LA. So uh, they uh, shut down next our pizza. Joel, I went over You're there. The other day. They shut it down. So I don't know. We'll have to have another place the next time you come. But uh, we'll thanks do. so much for coming on the show, and um, and everybody out there, please go check out these uh, smart folders and how to spot. There's there's some really great tools out there to help you work faster on your Mac. Okay. All right. Thanks, Joel. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Take care. Bye. Well, David, I I know that we don't do news, but I think we have to talk a little bit about the upcoming Apple Watch, even though it will be out by the time the show is released. So I want to do that. But before we do, do you want to tell us a little bit about our first sponsor? Something near and dear to my heart, Katie Floyd, and that is a good night's sleep. And oh, we're yeah. so happy to have Casper back on the show. And uh, we're, we're big fans of people that like to disrupt um, messy business models and going out to buy a mattress is messy. It's terrible. You go to different stores and they have essentially the same mattresses by the same manufacturers with different names on them. So you can't price compare. And we just went through this a couple of years ago and it, it was just misery. And I was so happy to read about Casper when they came out and Casper, you know, they take a different approach. Uh, they cut the middleman out. These guys manufacture the mattress and they send it to you directly. So they're an online retailer of premium mattresses. And because they cut the middleman out, they can do it for a fraction of the price. Now you've heard about memory foam mattresses and some people are, are down on them. They're like, they're saying that, you know, they're too soft and they just kind of absorb me and other people aren't sure what to think about it. Well, Casper has a different kind Kind of take on this stuff uh, by, you know, what they do is they've got a hybrid mattress and it combines the premium latex foam and memory foam. So it's just firm enough, but just soft enough as well. Uh, so they've got the latex and the memory foam. They come together for better nights and brighter days. Um, I've got a, I've got a Casper mattress and I love it. it I get a great night's sleep on it. Um, they've got, and because they have cut out the middleman, the price is very reasonable. You can get a twin size for $500. You can get a queen size for 850 And the way they send it to you is kind of awesome because it's this foam mattress. It comes in a box, you know, so uh, it's like a... I don't know if you've seen those uh, movies where they they're on the ship, right? And they they pull the cord and the life raft inflates. That's kind of what happens when you open the Casper box. The, the mattress kind of blows out of the box. It's, it's actually kind of fun, but I recommend opening the box in the room you're going to be using it. Uh, but anyway, it opens up. You drop it on your bed and you lay on it and you have a great night's sleep. Um, uh, it's a, an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. And because, you know, this is a new business model, they want to give you a chance. And, you know, people are nervous about this. Uh, so they have a risk-free trial and return policy. Casper offers free delivery and returns uh, for a 100-day period. So to just order it, get it, sleep on it for a week and see what you think. They've got free delivery and painless returns. So uh, they're made in America, great mattresses, go check it out. And uh, not only is it a great mattress, it's, it's a company that gets it and takes you out of that terrible experience of going into the store and shopping for a mattress. Uh, you want to get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Mac power. That's not the user part, just Casper.com slash Mac power and use the code Mac power users. 
Uh, the, there's spaces between those, by the way, Mac space power space users. Uh, thanks to, Ca- to Casper for supporting five by five. I love my Casper mattress. I bet you will too. So the watch. Yeah. And actually, David, I'm sorry. I think the code is just Mac power, not Mac power users. That's my bad for the show notes. Oh, oops. Okay. So is, is there a space? Nope. Just Mac power. Okay. So Mac power without a space. Yep. Great mattress though. I'll tell you. Um, anyway, um, so the watch, it, by the time this show airs, uh, we're recording it just a few days before Apple's, you know, second announcement on the Apple watch. So we're not going to talk about how much we think it's going to cost or uh, some of the other speculation stuff going around, because by the time this show airs, everybody will know. But we thought it'd be fun to just talk about it a little bit. And frankly, I think we'll be doing a full show on the watch once it comes out and we're using it and talking about how we're, you know, getting work done with it. But the, um, but let's just take five minutes and talk about the watch because I'm excited about it. Yeah. Well, I, I got to tell you, this is something that my excitement has built over time because I really wasn't sure about the idea of a watch initially. I I have a watch. I had a watch that I received as a graduation gift when I graduated from college. I've had that watch over 15 years now. And, you know, it was my very first nice watch. And it's not a super nice watch. It's probably a 200 to a $300 watch. It's just, it's a Seiko. It just makes me feel nice when I wear it. It's like a little piece of jewelry, but nothing super fancy. If I lost it, I'd be more devastated that I lost the nice watch that my parents gave me when I graduated from college than I would because I lost something that was very expensive. So I kind of had mixed emotions about getting the Apple watch means that I'm going to have to give up this watch that I've, I mean, I'll keep it for special occasions, but kind of means giving up that, that watch that I've been wearing for the last 15 years. Okay. Uh, So do you still wear it every day? I do. Well, not quite every day, but most days I I would say I wear it 95 plus percent of the time. I don't wear it to the gym. I don't wear it when I know that I'm going to be doing, you know, kind of yucky work, but it it is my everyday watch. Yeah, I'm I'm a watch wearer, too. I've always been one. I don't I don't have many fancy watches. I've got a couple Timexes because I just, you know, whatever. But the uh, I did buy a Pebble and the, you know, I was one of the original Kickstarter backers of the Pebble and I was kind of frustrated with them. I bought the orange one. And as a result, I bought it with the idea I'd write about it at Max Sparky. And, you know, they, they had kind of a legendary slow start at a Kickstarter to get that first watch shipped. And, you know, then they, they shipped them, but they were only shipping the black ones. And then, you could, and so everybody was writing it up while mine wasn't here yet because they had some trouble getting the orange ones done. And then I would go into Best Buy and you'd see them on the shelves, even though my Kickstarter watch hadn't showed up yet. So by the time it showed up, I was pretty down on the company just in general. And I thought that the experience was pretty terrible and I barely used it. And then last year at Macworld, I saw a bunch of friends wearing Pebbles. So I went back and looked at it again and they had updated the software and it's a pretty good watch. I actually wear the Pebble probably more than the Timex these days. Uh, so I've got used to having notifications on my wrist and I really like that. I mean, it's nice being in a meeting and feel your phone vibrate and you can just look down at your wrist and see if it's something that you need to deal with or not. And um much less intrusive. Although uh, the pebble is, you know, the text is quite small and it's difficult to read and the contrast isn't very good. And, you know, there's a lot of things about it that um, I don't really like, but the idea of having notifications on your wrist is, is pretty nice. And that is what I'm looking forward to. That That's kind of what brought me around on the idea of the Apple Watch. I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to leave my phone in my bag or leave my phone in my office and go into a meeting in the conference room. Um, you know, I know it's going to be somewhat 
space limited. Um, hopefully, as long as you're on the same Wi-Fi network, you'll still be able to get notifications and things. I think we'll hear more about that at the event on Monday, whether you have to be you know, tethered by Bluetooth, so you're going to have a little bit shorter leash, or whether you can be on the same Wi-Fi network and be a little bit longer leash. But I am looking forward to having notifications. I'm looking forward to being able to glance and see when my next appointment is, or maybe a few things of next. But I don't want to have a computer on my wrist. I don't want to have something that I interact with all day long on my wrist, because I don't want that distraction on my list. And I, I think at the beginning, it will be distracting because you're going to be figuring it out. But I could see this just blending it like the pebble at this point to me is just a tool. I don't think about it. And uh, I do like getting the notifications on it. Um, uh, but it's it is, you know, the classic situation where you've got hardware made by two different companies that doesn't always talk to each other very well. And my pebble disconnects from the phone on a pretty routine basis. And, you know, there's all kinds of fiddly things I have to do. Uh, I'm really looking forward to seeing what Apple can do. I suspect it's going to be much you know, stronger than the Pebble because it's made by the same company. They're going to have much better access than the guys at Pebble do. And uh, I'm getting one. So are yeah. you? I am too. Uh, I'm definitely getting one. I tell you though, I'm I'm going low end for this. I've definitely decided I'm getting the the 349 intro model. Uh, everybody's assuming that's going to be the sport model, and I'm not going to spend a lot of extra money on accessories, which means I'm probably going to be getting uh, you know the basic sport band. I'm leaning towards white at this point, just because I think that's going to be the most neutral and give me the most options. Because I this is a Gen One product, and I think it's something that if the Apple Watch works out well, it's going to be something that I'm probably going to want to upgrade Gen 2 or Gen 3. So it's not something that I want to spend 800 or or $1,000 on and only to have to replace. You know, there's speculation of, is there going to be a replacement program? And I think if there is, it's probably not going to be for the low-end versions that I'm getting. Yeah, agreed. And you know what? I think like a lot of Apple products, there'll be a resale market. I mean, Gazelle or... Sure. You know, somebody will want to buy it off you if you want to get a new one in a year. And like you, I'm probably just going to get the aluminum one as well. I guess it depends on how much it costs. But uh, I think it's it's unlikely I will buy anything better than the aluminum one. And um, and like uh, we had I, you know, I can tell that I'm getting excited about a new Apple product by by me spending time like, you know, fiddling around on websites because I did that on the iPhone before it came out. I was obsessive about the iPhone on the website and the iPad. And then the other day I found myself on the Apple Watch site. And if you haven't gone to the Apple Watch site and you want to get a little excited, go check it out because they've got some really great pages. I really like the timekeeping page where they've got all the different faces you can see. And I'm looking at these gorgeous faces. I'm like, wow, I really want that on my wrist now. I'm starting to get really, you know. I'm ready for this. Um, Have you seen the Mix Your Watch website that lets you switch out different um, watches yeah. with different bands? Yeah, yeah that's... <laughs> in fact, t- speaking of bands, we made a comment on the show recently about... Um, how, you know, I, I don't wear watch, my watch bands always are, don't have a metal clasp on the bottom. Cause a few years ago, I just scratched the heck out of a um, MacBook pro that way, you know, because it's having my wrist on the wrist pad. So I always get bands now that don't have a metal clasp on the back. And some of these watch bands for the Apple watch have metal clasps. Um, a listener, David wrote in and he had a link to a cool looking product. It's like a it's like a sticker that goes onto that wrist pad area. It matches the color. It's very unintrusive. And it's I, a I put a link to that in the show notes. So yeah, I am. Um, that's a good idea. I still don't think I'll do that. I think I'll still just get one that doesn't have one of those bands. And then I got thinking, I bet there'll be some third parties engineering their own bands. I mean, it's reverse engineerable. I'm cer- I'm certain, you know, that the way that band fits in there. I don't know if Apple's going to like sue them or anything, but 
hopefully um, we'll see third parties be able to create bands for it as well. Yeah. And the okay. last thing that, you know, I know we're over time, but I'm a little nervous about uh, size and appearance. And maybe this is more of a, a female versus male problem because I know men are, are used to wearing bigger watches. And I know there's the 38 versus the 42 size. And I'm a little nervous about how is this thing going to, to look and feel on my wrist in terms of everyday appearance. You know, the, the current watch that I wear is fairly small in size. It's It's a little bit of a nicer watch. And the Apple Watch even though it's remarkably small for what they've been able to do with it, it, it still has a little bit of a clunky look for me. And I think it's it's one, th- especially if I'm going to go with the low end and go with the, the what is it called? The fluoros, fluorosometer band, or I don't even know how you pronounce the rubbery kind of yeah. band, you know, is, is that going to be appropriate for, you know, all types of occasions? Is that going to be appropriate when I'm dressed up to go to court? I, I don't know. It's something I'm a little concerned about. Are you going to get the smaller one or the bigger watch? I'm going to get the smaller one just because I have fairly small hands and wrists, and I think the bigger one would just be too big. Yeah, I I hope um, I I'm going to get the bigger one. I mean, I I just want to have something that's easier to read for for no other reason. But but also, I'm I'm a guy; I can get away with the bigger one. Well, anyway, uh, so we're going to know, you know, by the time the show goes live, we'll know what it costs, when it's coming out. We'll have a ton more details, but I, I'm in. And, uh, you know, all the speculation about what happens in the future with these things. I don't know. I mean, maybe they'll have some way you can open it up and replace the guts with the updated version. But I think that's highly unlikely. Maybe they'll have a trade in program. I don't even know that we'll know this year what the plan is, but my guess is if you buy one of these things, you'll be able to sell it to somebody, whether or not Apple has a device for you to do so. Yeah. And they're correcting me in the chat room. Fluoroelastomer. That's probably okay. not right either. Well, whatever. I, I don't, I'm, I don't, I'm not really a big fan of those bands. I'll probably, if I get, you know, the aluminum watch and it's, it's possible for me to get one of the other bands, I'll probably get a, a different band for it. It it all depends on pricing. I'm I'm not going to spend yeah. several hundred. I'm not going to spend several hundred dollars on a band for a three hundred and fifty dollar watch. Yeah, but I'd I'd spend fifty. I'd I'd spend fifty two, um, and and I might go to ninety nine. We'll see. All right, so uh, there it is, folks. Uh, Apple Watch coming forward. We're all looking forward to it. Um, the new product category of the year. Um, yeah. Hey, let's move on. I am uh, I am very disappointed in you, Katie. Uh, is, I, I figure doesn't take much. I was I was reading Twitter and you were saying that you were packing up your hue light bulbs and you were sending them back. Well, I think I should be disappointed in you. You were the one to tell me who told me to buy the darn things because I just couldn't live without them. So I did. And I tell you, not only did I buy one set, I bought two because I was trying so hard thinking that I must be doing something wrong if I can't find a, a use for these things in, in my house. And no, nope, back they went. So what what was it about it that you didn't like? What exactly am I supposed to do with them again? Have fun. Mm. So the the hue lights backing up. <laughs> I guess I, I think I want to take that. I'm going to isolate that that hum sound you just made. Oh. I'm going to make it my text tone whenever you text me. <laughs> okay, there you go. So the hue lights for for people who don't know, there are a couple of different versions of them, but uh, they're these smart lights. And the starter set costs two hundred dollars, and the bulbs themselves are what about fifty fifty bucks a piece. If you buy the individual bumps. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I and, don't know what they cost. I mean, I, it's been a while since I bought any, but that sounds about right. Right. And so they've got um, the initial kind that I bought uh, were what I would call indoor floods, the kinds that go up in the, in the ceiling. Yeah. As opposed to what I would call like a, um, the smaller kind, which are the kind that would go into, into lamps. 
I think. Okay. It, but it depends on, you know, the types of lights you have set up. So in my kitchen, I have three lights that are over my bar area and the starter set for the hue bulbs comes with three lights. So I thought, okay, well, this will this will be a perfect occasion. I'll buy the starter set with the three indoor floodlights and I'll put those kind of in the bar area above my kitchen because then I can see them from the kitchen. I have kind of an open kitchen. You can see them from most of the open space in my house. And I put them in there and it was fine. I mean, it was pretty easy. I could do that. And, and so, okay, I've, I've got the light bulbs. I've, I've got them in, I've got them connected to my network. And then the thought is now, what do I do with them? And the app will let you make different colors and you can make them red and blue and yellow, and you can make them match different photos and you can make it look like you're underwater and you can make it look like you're in a forest. And that was kind of cool. And I thought, what practical use is this going to have? You're so practical, Kenny Floyd. Well, it's 200 bucks. What am I going to do with these things? We have, we have a lot of fun with ours. I'll tell you, you know, when we have, you know, I have, I have kids that are 13 and 18, so they have their friends over and we turn the lights on. I've got a disco app that will play music and it'll start like pulsing the lights to the music. I think our neighbors think I'm completely insane. I think I think uh, you're um, completely insane. Well, well, you you do think I'm completely insane, but they have, um, and you know my uh, the way my house is set up, I have a small house, so my office, in essence, is the corner of my bedroom at this point, uh, and I so I've got several lamps in my bedroom, and I like work into the night sometimes, and I change the temperature of the lights in the bedroom because when you have the usual, you know, the very uh, uh, cool light, you know, the blue tone lights on in the evening, it's actually causes trouble, and you can look. Up articles on this. So I actually have something that turns it to a warmer light in the evening. I like like dimming the lights in the night when I'm reading in bed. I mean, it's I find them very useful both for practical reasons and for fun reasons. So we've really got a lot of fun with our hue lights, and because they connect with if this then that, you can do all types of crazy stuff. Like for instance, we've got the ability to, um, you know connected we were just talking recently like we could make an if this then that and rule if like the sports team wins you can turn the light blue or whatever and we've played with stuff with that don't Um, watch sports we've got a i think it was george starcher who had a hue light that he hooked up and i'm not sure exactly i think he yeah it was george and he he had a hue light that he hooked up that it would change color based on the weather outside so he would know he would know whether or not to take an umbrella yeah, specifically, if it was going to rain, the light would light up a, a different color. And I was thinking, I don't know. Um, I, I get what you're saying. That, that of- was the only potential use that I could think of that had a practical application. And the other practical applications, of course, were turning lights on when you came into rooms, turning lights on when you were gone, making it look like someone was home when you weren't, making sure that when you came home that it wasn't dark. But, you know, I do all of those things already. And and my solution to that, which has been a fairly inexpensive solution thus far, um, has been to use the Wemo line of products. And so far what I've been using is I've been using Wemo um, with the little Wemo light switches and the le- well, Wemo wall plugs. I've got a couple of Wemo light switches hooked up to lights that are outside my house and a couple of Wemo wall plugs plugged into lamps. Um, And I'm thinking about getting a couple of sets of these um, Wemo, I think they're called the link lights. And their starter set is $99 for two, which I think is more along the lines of the hue. Is it called the Lux line? Their lower end line of lights. And they're not colored, but. But they're just plain white. Yeah. Yeah. Or or whatever standard. Um, And those are, uh, those look compelling because then you get the bridge. And I've heard that Cree has $15 
connected light bulbs that you can then add to those. So if, if I wanted to experiment with smart lights again, I think I would probably go um, that route as a, because the, the colors mean nothing to me. I mean, the idea of being able to turn on a light at dusk or turn on lights at certain times and set them to timers, those seem like practical uses, but, you know, being able to turn on colors to me, it's, it's fun. And if it's worth 200 bucks for fun or more, cause my guess is once you get in, you, you get in deeper than the $200 base set. It just wasn't worth it for me. It was worth it to me. I'll well, say good. that, but the, it's um, worth it for you. go for it. The, the one thing I'm curious about though, I'm a little nervous about is as you know, the Apple kind of connected home stuff starts to arrive. I've read that Hugh intends to support it. Um, and, and, Wemo, and I hope it does. Wemo has come out and said they do, will too. I hope they do because I, I really want the ability to use Siri to turn these things on and I think they'll become more stable. But, um, so I invested in these before the, you know, Apple kind of got into the game and I hope everything works together because I'd feel bad if I'd spent that much money and then suddenly they don't really work with the Apple system, but it looks like they yeah. will. Uh, okay. Well, that's enough on that. But, uh, uh, you know, I still think you would like the color ones. Mm. All right. Uh, let's talk about, um, listener Brian. He wrote in about, um, talking about when we did the text expander show and we've done some other writing shows lately. And he says, you guys never really talk about texting and what are, you know, what do you deal with texting in terms of texting workflows? And I thought that was really a good idea for this, the live show, because it's certainly not an hour and a half discussion, but it is something worth talking about. You know, texting is a thing. I get texts now, not only from my kids and my wife, but from clients and other people that I work with. And, um, getting that into a productivity system isn't as easy as it should be. You know, like emails we've got figured out. I mean, I've got SaneBox and I've got, you know, action folders and I've got the ability to use keyboard combinations to get an OmniFocus and all these things I do to process email. And like, for instance, the defer boxes in SaneBox are great for me for deferring things. Um, that doesn't exist with a text message. Someone sends you a text message. As soon as you look at it, it's marked as read. And then there's really no process involved to allow you to remember to go back and look at that. Um, so how do you deal with texting productively? And, you know, how do you act on a text when you receive it? And so I thought that would be kind of worth talking about. Um, in my mind, there's really two issues. The first one is the now action. You know, someone sends you a text and says, hey, can you know, do you need the red one or the blue one? And you can respond to that very quickly right then. Um, but what about the later thing? Like, can you send me next week a copy of this document? And people do that in text. Um, it's kind of hard. Yeah, yeah it's, it's kind of hard. Uh, later is the hard part because, you know, it's already marked as red when you see it. Uh, you don't have a mailbox structure. You don't have a defer box. Um, so, you know, it's not really it's like I said, it's not worth the whole show, but I can tell you how I deal with it is um, I put th things like that in OmniFocus immediately. Uh, there's a couple ways you can do it. You can just uh, go to Siri and you can say add, respond, or send a letter to John to my inbox list, and Siri will put it into OmniFocus. You can open OmniFocus and just dictate or type in a message. Um, the secret trick is you can select a text message. Like when you're on the iPhone, you can just tap and hold a select, and there's a little pop-up menu, and there's a more button there. And if you tap that more button, then there is a forward button on the lower right side of the screen. You can forward it then 
to an email address. And once you can forward to an email address, you can then like forward it to your OmniFocus secret mail drop, or you can forward it to your regular email address. It basically gets it into the rest of your process. It's really not that convenient because you've got to tap several times to kind of get that rolling. I find usually what I do because it's a text message is I am, I just open OmniFocus right there and dictate the note in that I need to do something with it. And the last piece of how I deal with this is if somebody does this to me more than once, I have a sweet little text expander snippet I have saying, hey, thanks for sending this to me. In the future, please send these to email because um, I may drop the ball if you send it to me as a text. I don't have a good system for that. And most that's people a, respect that. That's a good point because I, I struggle with that. I I, I'm a little more, I think people have become very casual about texting and I think I'm of the, I just need to get over it. Cause I think I'm of the generation that just missed text messaging. You know, my, my younger brother is all about texting and I just miss that. And other people I think have gotten into it more than I have, but I think if you send me a text message, it's something that's, that's fairly urgent. I need to act on now, but I have people who send me text messages in the middle of the day and they're just like, what's up? What's going on? Oh, Hey, I have a comment on something. And I find that very distracting. And I'm not sure what the polite way to say is, hey, could you not text me in the middle of the day unless you actually need something from me? You know, I'm busy. This is this is a disruption that I don't need. So maybe send me your OmniFocus template. I'll send that. Oh, you mean my text expander? Yeah, yeah, your text expander template. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send it. Maybe I'll post it, Max Sparky. Yeah, to say, uh, hi, I'm busy. You obviously aren't. <laughs> no, that's, cause wow. that's, that's, not, that's not the nice way to do it. And by the way, I don't like your colored light bulbs either. (laughs) You take your colored light bulbs and leave me alone. Go play with your colored light bulbs. (laughs) Well, either way, texting is hard. Uh, Give some thought to that. If you've got a better idea, send it in. We'll put it on the next live show. But yeah, um, because the one time I did ask someone to to please stop texting me in the middle of the day, they they did not take it well. I feel bad. That could go poorly. It did go poorly. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Because that's not. I mean, but te- I texting is really powerful for attorneys because we're not allowed to use our phones in court. You, know, you can't pick up the phone and call someone, but you can get like someone can send you a message say the you know witness is running late or something. It really is a a nice vector. But but assign you know getting work with a text message, boy, you can. I know that's the one place I'm most likely to drop something if you send me a request via text message. Yeah. And and the way that I do it is just like you do it. I mean, ninety percent of the time, if someone sends me a text message of something I need to follow up on later. I just hit the Siri button and tell Siri to remind me. And that goes to my reminders list, which then dumps into OmniFocus. Okay. Bonnie, uh, listener Bonnie is in the chat room and she has her message. It says all caps. Hello, I'm at work. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I don't think that's going to work for me. Thanks. I don't know. I like Bonnie. She's kind of sassy. She is. I'm just going to forward my text messages to Bonnie and let her deal with them for me. All right, let's talk about another sponsor. And then for the last time in 2015, let's talk about a little bit more about the finance software. Finances. Yes, the topic that won't die. Uh, But before we get there, I do want to talk a little bit about our friends over at Squarespace. Uh, And Squarespace is this place that, you know, both David and I use to create our websites. Uh, Simple, powerful, beautiful. That's what you get when you create a Squarespace website. They've got dozens of templates to choose from. No two Squarespace sites look alike because you can customize them endlessly. Uh, And if you need any help, which you may run into from time to time, they have got great customer support. Uh, 
24-7 support via live chat and email. They've got customer support agents all over the world just scattered around. So at any hour of the day, somebody's up and available to help you. Uh, their services start at only $8 a month. And if you register for a whole year, you get a free domain name for webs- uh, for your site. I can't tell you how many people um, have told me that they want to create a website and I have all my response is always the same. There's so many ways that you can do it. The best one that I have found is to go to Squarespace. It's one place you can get everything done. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to be a a web host. You don't have to be an IT person. They will just take care of it. Um, And if you need to do commerce, they can do that too, because every site comes with a free online store. You know, we like to feature listener sites, especially uh, on this live show. Uh, And we got a a email from uh, Mac Power Users listener, Darren Carr, who says that he's been a Mac user in the UK ever since 1989. Uh, and he's also completely paralyzed from the neck down and on a ventilator. And he was inspired by David and I, as well as Adam from the MacCast. You may remember we had Adam on the show a couple of weeks ago. And he started a website called MacTerra using uh, Squarespace. And he actually used our coupon code as well. Uh, and he's trying to go out there and use his website uh, to add something to the Apple community. So I think that is a great thing to do. And I've put a link to Darren's website uh, in the show notes as well. So you can check it out where he shares his thoughts and tips uh, on that website. So if you want to get started and add your own website to the community, just like Darren did, You can start with a free trial, no credit card required. Start building your own website today. And when you decide to sign up for Squarespace, make sure you use the coupon code MPU, and that will save you 10% off your first purchase and show your support for Mac Power users. So thank you to Squarespace for supporting the show. Squarespace, build it beautiful. In the past two weeks, I've had two friends um, have um, their WordPress sites hacked, you know, and it just, I don't know why people just don't use Squarespace. I mean, it's just so hard when you try and do this stuff yourself. Um, okay. Right. Uh, we, wrapping we, up the financial discussion. We got a little more feedback. Okay. For, first, we have an airing of grievances. <laughs> okay. So I, I feel a little bit bad in, in retrospect. And, and I in all seriousness, um, I, I do feel that in listening back to the last show, uh, some of my comments on the last Mac Power Users live show were a little bit harsh. And um, some people have written me and told me that, and I acknowledge that as well. I was trying to be cute, and uh, some some of it came off as um, a little bit too far the other way. And I, I want you all to know that, yes, I know that Automagically does have roots in the real world. I, I meant that in jest. I just hate it when other people use the word in a term that it wasn't meant for. Um, and I got a lot of feedback about the credit versus debit card discussion. And, you know, that is a legitimate, legitimate discussion that people have strong feelings about. And, and I get it. You know, I have strong feelings about it, too. So I think it's just something that people need to think about and, and figure out what works well for them. I think my point is it's, it's something that you need to think about. Okay. Well, I'm still using my credit card. Still using my, in fact, I used it to buy my colored light bulbs that cost $200. <laughs> Well, so when I get home, they automatically turn on. Oh. And and I used my debit card, so that, that purchase was a little more painful to me, which is why I ultimately ended up returning them saying, I'm not spending 200 bucks on this. All right. So um, uh, we've continued to receive a ton of feedback. We're not going to cover it all because it's just too much. But, uh, uh, you know, everybody has their own favorite app. It doesn't seem like there's a clear winner 
although you need a budget seems to have a lot of support in our audience. Yeah, so, um, it does. Uh, uh, Michael had some advice from a fraud specialist at a major bank. And he says, anytime you no, use no, your Michael, card or- Michael is the fraud specialist yeah, I know. at a major bank. I just want to make sure that was clear. Yeah. He says, anytime you use your card or card number, someone can acquire that card information and, uh, they have a skimming device implanted at the favorite gas station. They could be brick and mortar merchant. I mean, I've read about how, you know, the, um, the waiter, when they take your card to charge it at the restaurant, they could have a machine in their pocket where they slide it and grab it. It's just so many ways to get that information or frankly, just write it down on a piece of paper. Um, uh, so he says, if you have time, try taking a look at past statements and where you use each or some of the cards to see if you can spot the same merchants you've made transactions at on each card that incurred fraudulent activity. So that's kind of important, you know, if you have multiple merchants. And he says, when I mention the card holders, it sometimes jars loose memories of extra swipes at the merchants they've noticed, uh, but not that much of the time. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, what I take away from all of this is please bring me Apple Pay. You know, Apple Pay creates a unique number every time that you use it. That way they can't steal it and use it again. And if it's not Apple Pay, I don't I don't even care if it's, you know, Google Pay or Microsoft Pay or or Samsung Pay, whatever. Yeah. Just somebody (laughs) give me a system where I don't have to do this ancient technology where I use the same number over and over again. And um, and Robert wrote in about scanning books. Well, yeah, but I just want to say I think that's going to close the finance discussion. For now, yeah. if, if you've got more comments you want to send in, I, I, I really want to encourage you to I think that's all we're going to post or we're going to talk about on the show. If you still want to continue this discussion, I want to encourage you to continue it over on the Google Plus group because um, that's a great place. It's been fairly active. And so that's a great place if you want to continue the discussion with with other Mac Power users, listeners. We just we just can't go on in eternity about financial stuff. But yeah. and, and if you want to write me about Y and AB, I get it. Okay. <laughs> okay. I get it. Uh, so uh, switching on, Robert wrote in about scanning books. You want to talk about that? Yeah. You know, we, we got some questions from a, a listener on the past show about, you know, if she wanted to scan a book, but she wanted to keep the file size down. And we answered her question about what she can do in terms of settings on her scanner to reduce the, the file size. Um, but then we had a lot of people write in and talk about, um, you know, the scanning books and, and um, OCR quality. And Robert talked about um, how important it is that you want to make sure that when you scan it, that you scan it at a high enough quality that if OCR is important to you, that you can get a good OCR. Uh, He recommends scanning it black and white in 600 DPI um, because that's what you're going to do to get the best quality OCR. Now, this is going to... um, result in a really big file size. So there are ways that you can reduce the file size later. We had a couple of people write in and tell us about that. Um, you know, ways that you can reduce file size later include, um, you know, PDF pen has an ability to reduce file size. Uh, there's also a filter in preview, although I got to tell you, I found that it's not been that great, uh, where you can reduce file size. Um, and I put some links in the show notes to some apps that people have uh, sent us uh, about uh, tools that you can use uh, specifically for scanning books. So um, those are all great resources we've received from people. Yeah. And, um, and we also, I, we've had this kind of running thing about cutting open books and we've heard from several people talking about other sources to go to have a book that the binder ripped off of it. And it seems like the most popular option is staples, at least in the United States. Oh, okay. Well, or you. I mean, they can ship their books to you and, and you'll rip the binder off of them, I right? was going to do it with my bandsaw, and I was told by several people that was a bad idea. 
Oh. But I have a really nice blade on my bandsaw. I think I could pull it off. Maybe I'll just do it to an old college book just to see what happens. Um, just don't, anyway. don't lose any fingers. I don't know. I, I'm a, I, I used to be a big time woodworker. Did you know that? Mm, still go lose fingers. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know what I'm doing. I, I was in the Orange County Woodworkers Club for many years where we would go and like at the Christmas, we'd spin tops for kids and do all this stuff. And I always thought it was funny because I'd sit at the table with these guys and like half of them were missing a finger. Mm, I'm thinking that just proves my point. <laughs> Well, they didn't have colored light bulbs in their shop. That's the difference. Obviously, that's going to make the difference. Yeah. Okay. Um, so how about some show feedback? We have been talking off and on about Scrivener lately, and we got several messages in on it. Um, and, and it kind of raises a question for me. Where are we with big boy writing tools um, lately? And uh, on the New Year's show, I talked about one of the things I was most looking forward to for 2015 uh, was seeing Scrivener and Ulysses make their way over to the iPad. And as this show goes live, it's going to... How's gonna, that working out for you? It's it's coming very close. I mean, Ulysses has come a long way. I, they're, they are on the verge of releasing a iPad version. And I can tell you, uh, being in the beta, it's great. And um, uh, so, you know, and just kind of as an overview for people who are writing big projects, Scrivener has been the, the application that I've written many books in, and it's just a very powerful writing tool. I've blogged about it. We did a whole show on it. In fact, we probably need to come back and do a show on, I think maybe we do a show on both Ulysses and Scrivener at the same time because they're related products. But um, Scrivener has many, many powerful tools to write complex writing projects. I write large briefs in it. It does a great job with research. I mean, it's just something worth checking out. And if you're listening to this show for any length of time, you've probably already heard me prattle on about it. Um, But Ulysses is coming a long way. And Ulysses is kind of this, I would say, the second big boy writing application. Um, like I said, their iPad version is, is imminent. Um, I see Ulysses kind of as a middle ground. It doesn't have quite as many um, power tools as Scrivener does, um, but it still is a great uh, way to manage many bits of text to write a large project in. And it's better in some ways, it's worse in others, but it's definitely worth consideration. So um, we're making progress on that stuff. So I guess the the March report card is we're about ready to have Ulysses on the iPad. So if you're a big writer and you use the iPad, that's something you want to look into. And I know Scrivener is on the way too. Well, we'll look forward to those. And I'm, I'm sure we'll talk about them more because, you know, that's yeah. one of your, your big topics. Yeah, I know. I hope I don't talk about that too much, but it, it really, I think there's so many people out there that could use these better tools and it would make you a better writer. I, I honestly believe that technology can make a difference for you. And those are the two apps you need to check out. Um, we heard from Tim about exporting PDF annotations. We did a show on PDFs recently and, you know, I went back and we didn't even mention this. I don't know what we were thinking. Um, uh, when you do annotations to PDFs, one of the nice features and a lot of the applications is the ability to export the, uh, the annotations. In fact, there's an automator action for it on the Mac. So you can extract the PDF animation, uh, annotations, I'm sorry, not animations. And, uh, that's a nice way to be able to read it you know, differently because it gets messy when you have all those annotations all over the page. Uh, And I do that on occasion where I will send somebody the file and the exported annotations. You ever do that? I haven't, but um, I know it's a feature and on automator, there's an automator action that will do it as well. So what we're talking about called extract PDF annotations. Yeah. So uh, live feedback. 
some of the listeners in the show say getting your books ripped apart at Office Max is another good solution. Oh, good. Right. Uh, we also heard from Sandy, who asked the question, how is workflow different from Launch Center Pro? And, you know, we talked extensively about workflow and what it will do, but we really didn't talk about uh, comparing and contrasting it to Launch Center Pro and, and how those are different. Now, we should say that workflow uh, works very well with Launch Center Pro, especially because you can export workflows um, as actions in Launch Center Pro. But, um, you know, workflow is, is very different in that, you know, I think of workflow more as, as automator for iOS. And it, it allows you to, to really create these complex sets of actions. And, you know, we did the whole show on it, so I would encourage you to, to go look at that. Whereas LaunchBar really just is, it will let you launch other things. It's it's really more like Alfred or or LaunchBar. I'm sorry, I called it LaunchBar, didn't I? Launch Center Pro is really more like Alfred or LaunchBar for iOS. Whereas, yes, you can get complicated, unless you can. Yes, you can do things uh, with sharing and and the callback URLs. But I don't know. Um, but but it certainly doesn't have some of the power tools of allowing you to put things together like like Workflow can. Yeah, agreed. And um, the uh, since we did that show, I, I did publish that workflow um, field guide. Thanks, everybody, for the support. Had lots of great uh, feedback from the listeners that, that bought it. And there's a free, you know, sample. So go check that out, too. If you just, you know, if you just want to watch the 10 or 20 minute sample that may get you on your way. Um, uh, on the subject of journaling, we talked about that around the new year and we had some feedback piling up. I wanted to, to kind of cover it in the show. Um, and I had lamented the fact that I try to journal every year and I'm just not that good at it. And I'm, I'm true to form. I'm still there. You know, it's like, I've had a couple big events in my life the past few months and I have made an effort to stop and write in the journal as I was kind of working through some of those actually helped me make a decision in, in some cases, but I haven't been good about going in there kind of on a daily or at least a weekly basis and, and making entries. And Dave wrote in, he said, you know, he realized that instead of writing something brilliant when journaling, he just made a top five list and he uses a little text expander shortcut to drop a template in. And he spends five minutes a day uh, writing about a few things that have happened. He's even got like a little weather widget he built into it so it drops in the weather you know today the weather was blah 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 and then well i think i think day one things. does that automatically we'll put in the yeah i know yeah. it does but he said he liked he liked doing it because it made him feel like a geek you know because he could do it through text expander too but the, i think the point is you know giving himself a smaller assignment giving himself permission to write less means that he's using it more so i, I should probably look into something like that how about you are you, are you keeping up with your journaling i Did am you, I'm, I'm not as I'm not as good about it as I would like. So I've tried to lower the expectation for myself, which helps. And so now I try to journal once a week as opposed to every day. Yeah. And that helps. Um, The other thing I've done is I've set up a a lot of um, if this, then that rules using a tool called Slogger to import a lot of my social media stuff. And that kind of feels like cheating, but I I at least feel that at least I'm capturing this stuff somewhere. And that's a Brett Terpstra product. Uh, Yes. Slogger is a Brett Terpstra product. And there's also... Another one. What is it called? Um, Slogger does not use if this, then that. There's another one that uses if this, then that. I'll find it and put a link to the show notes. Yeah. 
Yep. Uh, we also heard from Chris about uh, journaling, and he said he had a hard time keeping with the habit, uh, the habit. But since iOS 8, he's found that the day one has a new today widget that helped him, and the widget can display two random photos that you've included. And just seeing those every day keeps the ideas and the journal in his mind. So he tries to take pictures of people and places and then jot down a sentence or two. And that makes a lot of sense, too. I, I really am going to try and get better at this. I'm still sorting out my life. You know, I, I made that big move. And, you know, I essentially opened my own law practice. So I've been figuring out all the backing geek stuff. I've had a lot of fun, by the way. We'll have to do a show on that at some point on how I run my business. But I've been doing that. And now that I'm kind of getting that figured out, I'm going to have hopefully a little more time to figure some of these things out and maybe start journaling a little more. I hope so. Um, well, Katie, um, I guess that covers journaling. We've still got a bunch more feedback, though. Uh, you want to take an ad break real quick? Yeah, let's do that. I'm really excited to talk about uh, our sponsor, the Omni Group. Uh, as I talked about, I believe last month, they have you know committed to bringing all their productivity apps to the iPhone, and that's a big deal. You know, now that the iPhone's got a bigger screen, it is more productive, and you should be able to do more on it. And most recently, they have released Omni Graffle Two for iOS. And this is a really nice update. And now OmniGraffle has always been to me one of the poster children for uh, iOS applications because the people at the Omni Group really spend a lot of time thinking about the the interface and how do you take a touch interface and and make it a great application. They are not in the business of just taking something that works with a mouse and keyboard on the Mac and just exporting it to iOS. They, they rethought the entire application. They were one of the first people to do this on the iPad, and they brought that to the phone as well. Uh, now you can edit points on a shape. Uh, they've got better fill effects. They've got updated layouts, all this great stuff. And you can get it both on the iPad and the iPhone. It's one purchase, a universal app. Um, and it's really worth checking out, especially if you do any kind of diagramming. Now, the reason I like it on iOS is because OmniGraphle, unlike most graphics applications, uh, supports quick and beautiful generation of graphics objects. So when I'm sitting down with a person, I usually take my iPad. You know, one thing I've discovered with my new life is I don't take my laptop out of the house much. I mean, when I go meet somebody, I just bring my iPad. And as someone's telling me about relationships or uh, trying to lay out something for me that's complex, I will just open up OmniGraffle on my iPad and diagram it right there and just show it to them. And they'll look at it, how I've represented it. And they'll say, no, this goes there. And I can just fix it with my finger. And it's really great. And when I'm done, I, I just PDF and export that to the person I met with. And they feel like that their lawyer is like the smartest guy in the world when all I'm doing is using this Omni graffle application so so go check it out now they've got the new version out um supports it works on both the phone and the ipad i mean this is a good reason especially you six plus users you're going to want to see how this looks on your six plus so uh, go check it out support the omni group they're a really great group of developers they simply make the best software in every category they approach and omni graffle 2 is just one more sample of that you can uh, learn about it at the omnigroup.com if you do buy it um, please send them a note or tweet them or something let them know that you heard about it from us all right so we had we had some more feedback yeah we got some questions from from mac power users listeners um and kyle said um wanted to know about monitoring his bandwidth usage and has a problem he recently went over his cable provider's 300 uh, gigabyte monthly allowance and we're starting to see those types of things more and more frequently 
uh, where uh, home Internet service providers are putting these bandwidth caps. And unfortunately, I think we're going to continue to see those. Uh, and he said this was due to crash plan backing up to its sync service. I've since fixed this on my end, but was wondering if you have any recommendations on a program that can monitor my network usage. I have a Mac that I leave on all the time as a server for my entire house that connects through an airport express router. Um, is there a Mac app that will monitor all my network usage and just network usage on a particular Mac? And I wanted to talk about that for a minute because I've put a couple of links to resources in the show notes. And there are there are more tools that will monitor network usage on a specific Mac. But that's more and more now less important because so much of our network usage that we're using now is not on our Macs. It's network usage through our iOS devices, through our smart TVs, through our Apple TVs, you know, particularly with streaming video. I would say it's fair to say in many households, we're using more bandwidth on devices other than our computers. And so it's it's just as, if not more important, to be able to monitor all of that net bandwidth usage um, than, it, than it is to monitor it just through our Macs. So really, Kyle's on the right track here. The, the best way to, is to monitor all of this on the actual router itself at the source of the network so that you're, you're going to get all of the traffic coming through all of your devices. Um, unfortunately, it's, it's not that easy to do. Yeah. I mean, you've got to get in at the router level really, because you know, your refrigerator in a couple of years is going to be sending data to the internet. Yeah. I hope not. Um, the, they're wait, wait. All, go ahead. mine, mine will, and Katie's won't. Well, because I've got, <laughs> you've got to justify the expense for me. <laughs> and so, I can't help myself. So yeah. there you have it. Um, so the, there, the best way to do this is um, to have a router that will, will do it for you. Uh, unfortunately, Apple's routers don't do that built in. Now, if you, if you have an older Apple router, and that would be one that is not one of the new 802.11n tower. No, I'm sorry. 80, what's the newest one? 802.11ac, right? Yeah. Okay. If you have one that is not the newest 802.11ac routers, the tower routers... So if you have anything before the tower router, um, that has a networking protocol called um, SNMP built in uh, that you can configure and use software to to monitor all of the traffic that goes through your router. Um, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a, a couple of packages that will um, use SNMP to do that for you. Um, if if you have one of those newer Apple routers, then you, you may find that your options are limited. But the best way to do this is to monitor it directly at the source of the router. And like I said, I've got a link in the show notes um, to some packages that will do that for you. Um, the other option is that your if your ISP gives you a bandwidth cap, they likely have a way that you can monitor this as well. I use Cox for, for my internet service, and I believe on my particular plan, I have a 500 gigabyte cap. And I don't worry about it much because I think I've only gone over it once or twice. And like Kyle, it was it was when I was doing the initial backup to a, an online service. Uh, and thankfully, as of as of this moment, Cox just sends you a little nasty gram. They don't actually uh, ding you for it, although they say they will in the future. Uh, they have a, a bandwidth monitoring tool on their site, although I, I think it's only updated every 24 hours. So you could be over it by the time that you know uh, that will tell you how far you've gotten. In the past, what I've done uh, is I, you know how you can create a, a dashboard widget from a web page? Yeah. I've, I've created yeah. a dashboard widget of that section of the web page to, to monitor that. I'm hoping in the future they'll come up with an app or something that will let me do that. But that's been my best solution so far, other than just, you know, bookmarking the page and 
checking it periodically. Yeah, it's you know, it's it's funny that we're now running into that problem that there's so much video content out there that, that you know, you you could run up into an excessive amount of data with your local service provider. Yeah. I mean, a few years ago that was unimaginable. But I've got a family that that lives on Netflix. I mean, my kids, they watch TV on Netflix and YouTube. They hardly ever watch network television. I, I don't know. I have to see how much data they're pulling down because all they do is watch that stuff. Yeah, you'd probably be surprised. So I bet yeah. it's a lot. Yeah. Um, Tom wrote in about uh, password managers, and and he had a question about uh, 1Password specifically, but this really would apply to all of them. And full disclosure, 1Password is a sponsor. Uh, but either way, he said... Um, He'd like to get one password, but he's afraid that it'd be like advertising to someone who want to find everything sacred to him in one nice package. He says, I understand it's all encrypted, but if all they have to do is look for the one password file and there it is and they, you know, boom, they've got everything. Well, they don't have everything. And, and the magic but, but, there but, is. But let's back up. Let's, let's address his concern for a minute. Yeah. You know, his, his concern is, you know, what, what you're telling me is using a password manager is I'm going to have this one place where I'm going to store my most important information and that's where I'm going to put it. I'm going to lock it up in here and I probably don't even know what my passwords are anymore. It's all going to be managed by this one thing. You're asking me to put all of my trust in this one thing, my most important information into this one thing. And so the two problems that most people have with that is number one, aren't I just advertising to the world that, hey, go steal this. This is where all of my my stuff is. You get this, you get the keys to the kingdom. Um, and and number two, if something happens to this, aren't I out of luck? I mean, so that that's the that's the concern, right? It's a valid concern. It was it was my concern for years. Yeah. But I think I think the first question you have to ask yourself is what's the alternative? Well, I mean, the the alternative is to put it in multiple places where it's not secure and you can't find it. Right. <laughs> or, or or to have or, bad passwords. Yeah. Or, or have it in one place and have it unsecured, like the the famous, you know, the file te- on the, the desktop. text file called passwords on the desktop. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or Excel sheet or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, you got to use some system. And the thing I like about one password and i'm sure their competitors you could say this about them as well is well they're legitimate peop- com- competitors well, there's, exactly yeah uh, the, there's a group of people that are getting paid to make that file as secure as possible and they know more about how to do that than you do and they spend more time thinking about it than you ever will and that's what you you have to put your trust somewhere and to me it's it's the guys at one password i mean in fairness i know the guys there they're they're really smart and I know that how much they obsess on this stuff, but uh, you need to do it somewhere. And the fact is in 2015, more than ever, uh, protecting passwords, having strong, unique passwords is more important. We, we bang on this way too much on our show. So I'm going to stop there, but it really is. You, you need to put something like this in place, whatever it is. Um, let's talk about Carol. Um, she wanted to create a memory book. And we have talked about this on the show often on several times. We've heard from listeners who've decided they're going to, you know, make like a, a, an ebook for the family. And Carol had a great idea. She's going to make one on her mother's life. Her mother's 84 and she's been collecting, uh, many interviews using the MP4 format. So she's talking to people. Um, she's scanning photo albums. She's getting all this data together. And I, uh, I think I said on the show that one of my greatest regrets is that, 
My mom was alive for several years when I had the ability, knowledge, and even the foresight to do this. I had it in OmniFocus to make a book like this with my mom, and she passed away before I did it. And I feel so dumb for not doing that sooner. And um, anyway, Carol's Carol's not learning from my mistakes. She's, she's getting it together. She said, what do I do with all this stuff? Where do I put it? And um, she asked me specifically about iBooks Author. Um, because that's kind of my thing. We did a whole show on iBooks author. I can tell you iBooks author has got much, much better. I mean, that it's more stable than it ever has been. I mean, it's still, you know, it's still a, a tool that's made to create books and it's not as user-friendly as some of the other Apple products, but I, I believe Carol could do something in iBooks author to make this, um, the problem with that is it's limited to people that have iPads and Macs, at least for now, uh, to view that format. So if she's got a bunch of family that's on PCs or non-iPads, then they aren't going to be able to see the book, which is a problem. Uh, Whatever format she decides to use, my recommendation would be keep all the source stuff, keep all the, you know, source MP4s and all the media, keep those in just regular old folders, because in 20 years, your kids may want to use that same source data to make a book about you and include a bunch of the stuff about your mom, too. So just whatever you do. Make sure you keep the source stuff. Don't throw it out. Yeah. Data is cheap. You know, it's, it's <laughs> storage is cheap. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I would echo that. I would say definitely keep the source files, uh, keep them in non-proprietary formats, you know, at the, and I don't know what you're going to use, but for example, I ripped all of our, our family movies and I don't remember what format I had them in for a while, but at, at one point they were like in, in an iMovie file. Well, you know, guess what? The the version of iMovie that they're in right now is is not compatible with the version of of, of iMovie that we we have now because it was it was years and years and years and years ago. Um, thankfully, I still have the and original. that's a lot of years. Years, that's a lot years, of years, yeah. Uh, so thankfully, I, I have the original source material and I, and I saved that you know as a standard. I think it was a .mov format or whatever it was. It's a really big file, but I saved that. I also as I. In, in that particular case, I burned DVDs for everybody. So I, instead of just having the DVDs, which will deteriorate over time, I saved on my Drobo um, disc images of those DVDs. And so I've got the disc images, number one, that allows me to very quickly burn off a set of DVDs for people because I can just take the DVDs and, and put them into disc utility and, and burn off a DVD for somebody if they still want that. Um, or I can, you know, quickly, you know, create a, an MPEG file or something. But I've got that, that material in an easy format that, that I can reproduce it. So I think iBooks Author is, is great for now, but I don't think that's your format that you're going to be sharing the stuff in 20 years from now. Yeah, so. agreed, agreed. Well, I, I hope that more listeners do that, though. That's a great idea. And it's really not that hard anymore. You know, you can take your iPad around. You can do the recordings right there or even on your phone, audio recordings. You can make some great video, next family gathering. Um, and and the production side of it isn't really that hard either. I, I don't want to poo-poo the idea of making one in iBooks Author right now, especially if you've got an Apple-centric family. Because it, they make gorgeous books, the templates look good. You can just start dragging and dropping, and those books would not be so large. I mean, the the trouble I have is I push the limits. I mean, my books are like really large because I put a lot of video in them. And uh, but for just a project like this, I think the iBooks Author platform would be just fine, so long as the people you're sharing it with have Apple devices. All okay. Right. 
Well, we're running, we're uh, kind of running up against the clock here. So I do want to take a quick break and, and talk about our last sponsor for this episode. Uh, and that is our friends over at Transporter. And Transporter is a storage device that lets you create your own cri- private cloud uh, for syncing, accessing, protecting, and sharing your data. Uh, it is 100% under your control. So you say where your files are stored uh, and who has access to them. Uh, out of the box, the setup is a lot like Dropbox, especially with Transporter uh, version 2.0. You can create an account uh, where you can create a folder on your Mac or PC to hold documents that you want to sync between computers, uh, and they'll just start syncing with your transporter. Uh, You can drag and drop uh, folders to sync or share uh, any folder. Uh, to your connected data folder on your transporter uh, and create new folders or just click and share a link to them um, and boom, there you go. In fact, this is how David and I, you know, share a lot of the information for Mac Power users because we've got to uh, share a lot of data back and forth. Uh, And because the initial share is to something on your local network, because I'm sharing from my computer to the transporter that's connected to my local network via Ethernet, it's very fast. And then I can close my computer and go away and then it's just going to do a transporter to transporter sync uh, from my network to David's transporter, and I don't even have to be here for that. My computer doesn't even have to be on. It just happens. Um, so there are a couple of new things going on with Transporter that they wanted us to tell you about. They've continued to innovate. Uh, first off, there's new versions. So Transporter now saves versions of files about one per minute, so you can go back and restore older versions of a file. They also now support read-only folders. So if you want to share a folder with a person, but you're not quite sure you want them to have the ability to delete something from that folder, you can do that too. Uh, If you want to back up photos from your iOS device, there's a camera upload feature, and you can even set it to automatically happen when you walk into your home or connect to a specific Wi-Fi network. Um, And if you've got a business, you may want to check out the Transporter Genesis, which is specifically for business environments. And check out the new update to their iOS app. Make sure you're up to date uh, because that app got a bunch of updates uh, just on March 2nd, so a couple of days ago, uh, including new storage extensions, uh, faster connection speed, and support for VLC player. So the Transporter app will integrate with the popular VLC media viewer, and so that even extends your ability to the type of video and audio formats that you can play. We do have a special promo for Mac Power users and listeners this month. Uh, if you are in Europe or North America, you can buy a Transporter Sync and get one for free. Uh, And in the U.S., you can even get free shipping on top of that. So it's a perfect way uh, to start syncing and sharing with someone. So here's what you do. Uh, You order the Transporter Sync 2-pack at filetransporterstore.com and enter code MPU twofer. So that's MPU, the number two, and then the letters F-E-R, all caps. And this will give you a $99 discount. So the normal cost of that bundle is $198. They'll subtract $99 and boom, you've got it. So 50% off. So go check them out at filetransporter.com and thanks to their support for Mac Power users. That's nuts. You get two for one. There you go. And and If I didn't already have one, David, I'd do that with you and, and you and I could each share our files. But yeah, or if you're looking for that offsite photo storage for a hundred bucks, you just put a hard drive at some family member's house with the other one attached to it, and one at your house, and you you copy the fo- the photos in, and they're offsite copied every time. Um, okay. Anyway, uh, we had some audio comments. We haven't we haven't played any yet today, so let's let's play an audio comment from Jared. Yeah, and I think Jared's still in the chat room. So, uh, Jared, yeah. here's your here's your audio comment. Hello, David and Katie Floyd. It's your friend Jared in Monterey. Hey, I wanted to let you guys know about uh, a product that I found recently that's pretty awesome. I was listening to this show where you were talking with, uh, I can't remember his name, but the former genius from uh, Apple Retail. 
And he was talking about having the ability to boot a known good operating system from a rescue drive. Well, I found this product. It is a USB 3 solid state hard drive. It's, uh, it comes in two different sizes, 120 uh, gigs and 240 gigs. I think it starts at $99 and then goes to $150 or thereabouts. Uh, anyway, I saw this and I picked one up and created a couple of partitions on it. First, I created a Yosemite install partition. And I did that from the file that was downloaded from the Mac App Store and then using the create install media terminal command, which there's a whole bunch of articles on the web about how to do that. Secondly, I created an additional partition, and this one actually has a full working copy of Yosemite installed on it, along with some third-party utilities to use in the event of uh, some tech support needs. Things like Data Rescue and Disk Warrior and a, and a few tools along those lines. What makes me really happy about this is that this USB 3 solid-state drive is so incredibly fast as opposed to trying to boot an OS off of a USB thumb drive that's USB 2 and flash storage that's really slow, this thing is screaming fast. It feels almost as fast as the flash drive in my MacBook Air or my MacBook Pro Retina. So thought you might enjoy that. I'll go ahead and include a direct link to that product on Amazon's site in the email. Thanks so much, and uh, you guys absolutely love the show. Please keep up the great work. Take care. The, um, you know, I, for some reason, the switch in my head that said I can buy an external drive that is a SSD had never flipped before I listened to this message because, you know, I, you know, SSDs were so expensive for so long that you just would not consider using it for anything but an internal drive. But when you start thinking about the, you know, the, the faster bus speeds we're now getting and the decreasing price of the SSDs, um, there may be a need for one of these in my life at some point. After I get done paying for my colored light bulbs, I'm still, you know, I'm on payment plan with those. So, you know, $10 a month. So I've still got a few more months. Yeah. Well, I could go buy one because, yeah. you know, I don't, I don't have that problem, but we're good now. <laughs> but the, uh, but that, you know, that, that's a good idea. I mean, and, and I was, the pricing wasn't too bad either. I I, I went and looked in Amazon and, and Jared's right. There are some, some good prices on those. And, you know, I know there's different qualities and speeds of SSD um, speed, you know, um, the solid state drives, but even a sl slow SSD solid drive is, is pretty darn fast. Cool. Okay. Uh, we also heard from Mark about using if this, then that uh, to monitor Gmail folders and create reminders. And we've kind of danced around this in the past. I think we may have to do, they, they've updated the, if this, then that apps for iOS and they're adding some new features and there's a couple competing online products. I think we may do a web automation show in the, in the not too distant future. We've got, cause there's just some things that we need to talk about on that. And I think we should probably give it its own show so we don't have to rush through it. But, but Mark had a, a good tip. Uh, so he uses if this, then that to de detect emails he's added to specific folders. And the if this, then that e email support, by the way, is, is best if you use Gmail. 
I mean, it just works I, much better. I think that's really the only way it works, though, is, yeah. is with an email service that has hooks in. I think that's the only way it works is with Gmail. Yeah, I mean, it does allow you to do certain things with, like, an IMAP account, but nothing like Gmail. I mean, you can send it, basically, you can send an email to an IMAP account, but with Gmail, you can you can read what's going on inside there. And then, so what he does, he creates a reminder with the email, so the reminder then auto-syncs to things, because he's a things user. Or it could be OmniFocus, if that's your thing. Um, So he doesn't have to manually add a task to his task manager. And it makes it really simple to uh, approach for email. So basically, he kind of rolled his own like OmniFocus Magic Sync Box. Um, he also has another if this then folder that uses to create new Evernote notes. So everything in the folder goes into the same notebook, and uh, you don't have to do the tags. He says it's a super fast way to add items to Evernote. And um, he has given us uh, links to the recipes. So we're going to go ahead and put those in the show notes so you can check those out. Um, I haven't made public a lot of my if this and that recipes, but I think I'm going to start doing more of that now and writing them up for Max Sparky. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, and and then, with the, go ahead, go ahead, Katie. No, I, I, I think that's a great idea because I'd love to see how you're using if this and that. Because I think it's a service that, that people really want to get into, but sometimes struggle with, okay, well, how am I going to use this? Yeah, exactly. And it's a different kind of automation is, you know, whereas, you know, like the workflow app is gluing together apps on your phone. Uh, if this, then that glue, glues together web services. And, um, but it is a thing now. I mean, automation is just becoming so great and it's so accessible to people. I, w- some of the feedback we had on the workflow show was really good. And the, the, be- my favorite feedback from it was people who said, you know, I never thought I could figure this stuff out, but now that I'm looking at it, I'm doing all sorts of things with it. So go check it out. It's I think it's the same thing as Automator on the Mac. If people would just try it, they'd find that they can they can do pretty good with it. Uh, and then, you know, we had the workflow episode uh, just recently, a couple episodes ago. Um, and Stephen wrote in with a very cool workflow, one that I'm going to save and, and use. And it's a workflow that will allow you to back up your iOS contacts to a zip drive, uh, either and save it in Dropbox or iCloud or share it out via the share seat. And so there are a bunch of reasons that you may want to do this. I think we talked about, you know, sometimes you accidentally um, save your contacts in the wrong place. Maybe you've saved them on the phone and you really want to get them into a cloud service. I think we talked about that in the iCloud episode. Or um, sometimes you're about to go in and, and clean up your contacts, but you want to make sure that you have a good copy of them first. That's something that I've always done through um, address book on the Mac. I didn't even know that it was possible to do through um, con- or is it yeah address book or contacts now? I don't remember. I think it's contacts. It's contacts now. I didn't even know that was something that was possible to do on contacts through iOS, but apparently you can with workflow. So I haven't tried this one myself, but I'm going to download it and try it. So I put a link to the actual workflow in the show notes. And uh, thanks to Stephen, because I know he contributed uh, quite a few to the workflow show as well. Yeah, one of the ones I did in the video that was just for to be goofy, but actually is kind of useful is it because it can monitor your system. And so I have it checking if the if the battery gets down below ten percent, it dims the um, the brightness. Now, can it do that in the background though? No. Well, no, so but it doesn't. So you you open workflow and say check the status of my battery, and if it's below yeah. a certain, dim my system. Yeah. And at that point, oh, have it. Actually, you, I, have did, it I, just, I, I just run it as an automator script. I'm, I'm sorry, not a launch center pro, okay. not automator. But so you just open. You just open if you see the battery's getting low open automator, push one button and it drops it down. Okay. 
But if you see the battery's getting low. Yeah, you, you, you don't have to put the conditional in. I get it. But okay. I still like that. Okay. It's, it's faster. It is faster, though, than going into system preferences, digging through the settings and lowering it. It's much faster than that. You know, you can do that from Launch Center. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, okay. Uh, we wanted to talk about our guests for the live shows. Um, we've got some great ones lined up, but we want to hear from more. Um, if you've got something you're doing in your life that's interesting with your Apple technology, let us know. If you've got some kind of strange job where you're making your Apple dance for you, let us know. Because um, we're looking for some some smart people to bring in for those. Uh, we decided the best way to do it, though, would be an audio pitch. We'd like to hear from you. So uh, we've got the website feedback at MacPowerUsers.com and the email address. Make a short audio comment. You can do it on your phone or whatever. It's not that hard. Keep it under two minutes, though, and um, and be available to do the live shows. We do them the first Saturday of the month, usually at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern time. Um, we can't do everyone that sends one in, but sometimes we kind of queue these up. So so like I said, send us some pitches. We'd like to have some interesting people on these live shows. Yeah. And go back and listen to the Mac Power users. I think it was episodes 100 and 150 for some examples. And and the idea is 15 to 20 minutes, pick a topic and, and let's talk about it. Well, something that you're doing that's creative. What is a problem that you're solving and, and how you're using your Apple technology? And that's what we want you to tell us in your two minute or less pitch. Um, and, and you can send it in via an audio comment, but one of the, the reasons that we want the audio comment is because we kind of want to be able to hear that you've got a, a good audio setup as well for the, for the live show. So send those in again to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. And we've got some tech we're playing with, but before we do that, we have one more announcement about the website. Yeah, I, I went through, I've gotten a bunch of requests from people via email and Twitter saying, hey, I, I missed the promo code on the show. Can, can you add it to the website? And the answer is sometimes we can and sometimes we can't. Uh, sometimes our our sponsors, you know, allow us to add the promo code to the website. Sometimes for whatever reason, they don't want it Googleable, So we're not allowed to to put it other than in the audio of the show. So when I can on, on MacPowerUsers.com uh, over on the sidebar, you'll see a, a little tab for or a link for promotions. So I've gone through and as of, uh, I think, the end of February, I've, I've updated all that page with the list of the current promotions that I know of that are active for Mac Power users. So you can go through that site um, and get the promo codes that are currently active. If you find one that's not active anymore, shoot us an email and let us know. I will try my best to keep those updated at least once a month or so. Uh, if you find one that is active that I didn't put on there, let me know that too. Um, if you find one that's not on there, that may be because I can't put it on there. So um, just understand that as well. So check it out. So uh, another month has gone by, Katie. What is new and shiny in your life? Well, although I did get rid of the fancy pants hue lights, uh, I have been experimenting quite a bit with LED lights. And for the cost of three hue lights, uh, I've pretty much been able to outfit my entire house with standard LED, non-smart, just regular LED lights. And I don't know if this is an aging thing, uh, whether I'm aging or my light bulbs are aging. I'm going to blame it on my light bulbs. But I, I found that 
having really good light is becoming more and more important. Um, that and having glasses. So I don't, I, that's, that's definitely not my problem. That's the world's problem. I think you just problem. answered your own question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I've, I've gone through and I've started swapping out a bunch of the lights in my house, which they're, they're starting to, to go because my house is about three years old now. And they, the contractor just put in these, you know, inexpensive, you know, contractor, you know, 60 cent, whatever cheapo grade light bulbs. And so as they go, I've been replacing them with led lights and, and experimenting with them. And the ones that I've settled on is I really, for my indoor floods, which is mostly what I have, I really like these uh, Philips soft white with warm glow indoor floods. Unfortunately, they're about eh, 10 to 15 bucks a pop, depending on how you buy them. I put a link in the show notes to them. Uh, and then for the the more standard size light bulbs, um, Philips also has a slim style LED that's a little less expensive. They're about seven to eight dollars each, depending on how you buy them. And I just I think they put out a very nice light. They're bright and they they really brighten up the room. They make reading a lot easier and just really make doing everything a lot easier. So I've been very happy with them and they put off a lot less heat. I, I haven't been living with them long enough to really be able to tell long term how much of an impact they're making on the utility bill. But they you know the the math says they've got to be making some you know what we um you know i haven't done anything scientific on this but our electric bill has gone down and i attribute that to the fact that we have replaced all of our light bulbs with uh, leds yes but have you compared that to the cost of the phillips hues that you've no, well it's not all phillips no, hues. I, know. I mean right. i have a lot of just standard ones as well but i think you're going to be judging me on these light bulbs for a long time i can't help but feel that no that's fine you you okay. keep your light am bulbs I, am keep, i all right now i'll keep my light bulbs yeah uh, someday but, I'm going to be living in a cardboard box in the street. And she's like, well, if he just hadn't bought those light hadn't bulbs. hadn't bought those Phillips <laughs> light bulbs. You but I, I will say I, I have made some of these smart bulbs because some of them are connected to if this uh, Wemo light switches. And so some of them have been, you know, some of them have become smart bulbs. Yeah. The, um, so uh, a couple things in my life I like these days. Um, uh, number one is I found a game that I am completely hooked on on iOS. It's called Alto's Adventure, and it's been making the rounds and all the tech blogs. But boy, is it fun! It's one. Of, it's a um, it's a game where you do this endless kind of run on a snowboard, and it sounds kind of lame, but it's really fun and it's gorgeous. The graphics are great. Uh, I did the upgrade podcast uh, with Mike Hurley and Jason Snell, and Jason had made the comment that he likes the game because it doesn't stress him out. And I totally get that. It's a fun game, but you don't feel like anxious as you're playing it because it's just fun. You're doing the snowboard. But either way, if you're looking for a fun game, I recommend going and checking out Alto's Adventure. And then another thing I did, another thing where I wasted more of my money is I, I another Kickstarter project I backed like a year ago was called the iSketchNote. And it's a it's a notebook that your iPad straps into and then it has a Bluetooth connection and a very um, particular sensor on the right side where you can put regular paper on it in an app. So you can draw on the paper and it simultaneously shows up on the iPad. It seemed like a really good idea when I bought it. I've been playing with it. I'm not sure how much I'm going to actually use it in my daily life. It feels to me like the technology may be overreaching or passing me by as, you know, we keep hearing about Apple's going to come out with something that's a bigger iPad that's really more drawing friendly. But I've always found writing on glass. I mean, regardless of how accurate the pen is or how good the stylus is, just the act of writing on glass is very difficult, whereas writing on paper is better. So I've been using that. I think I'm going to be incorporating it into some of my workflows and some of the stuff I do in my day job, but I haven't figured it all out yet. It just showed up and I'm kind of digging it. But if you go to, I think it's iSketchNote.com and um, you can check out that product. 
Very okay, cool. Katie Floyd. Well, I think uh, that's going to wrap us up. Yeah. So uh, thanks to our sponsors for this episode, Casper, Squarespace, Omni, and Transporter. You can find links to everything that we've talked about on this episode on our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv. Um, and don't forget to send us those audio comments. And if you want to send us a pitch for our workflow show, you can send those in too, um, as well as just about any email you want to send us to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. You can also find us on Twitter. We are at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd, and I am at Max Sparky. We will see you next week. <laughs> <laughs>